Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? You look good. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are joining us live online. Glad that you're all here. I'm checking it out online right now. I'm going to share this live. And if you haven't done that yet, you should definitely do that. Isn't it a crazy world? We... <laughs> I did not know that was going to happen. How did you plan that out? Was that on the screen? That was, give it up for Matt Mellinger. That was impressive, Matt. I, I, I literally did not know that was happening. I love technology. That's literally what I was going to say. So great segue. Uh, if you haven't shared this, the cool part about technology is we can all stay connected. The bad part about technology is we all stay connected, some of you are saying. But also that we do a lot of this. And isn't it funny? I mean, we all know this, that how isolated we get in such an interconnected world. And I find especially, I mean, obviously we had a pandemic, but even beyond that, with suburban culture today, we put up our fences literally and figuratively very well. And we become disconnected. And a lot of times what I find, we think that we created the life that we've always dreamed of, and we actually have everything at our fingertips and we're more isolated and lonely than we've ever been before. You don't need to raise your hand, but I know some of you identify with that. As we get into this new teaching series called House Party, we're going to party. Do you guys like to party? I like to party. You know, and I find, let me just ask this question. I'm going to reframe it before we pray here, but is there anybody here? You don't, don't raise your hand, but have you lost the joy and excitement in life sometimes? Then it just seems like it's just another year, another summer, the same thing over and over, the repetitive nature of life and the, the joy that you want to experience. What I want to tell you is if, if you follow Jesus in your life, it doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect. It doesn't even mean that you're always going to be happy. But it does mean that you get to experience the joy of Christ in your life. And what we're going to look at through our three weeks together in this teaching series is actually experience the joy of Christ in Christian community. That the primary way that Jesus spread the good news, which we call the gospel, about his life, death, and resurrection, the primary way that he shared that the kingdom of God was at hand was through already established relationships in the home. And he would throw parties here and parties there. There'd be dinner parties all over the place. And people would come to experience the joy of Christ and of Christian community together. And I believe that same spirit that was moving then is still moving now, today in our culture. And that as we head into, isn't it beautiful today? I mean, if you're not from the Midwest or Indiana, we have to celebrate days like today. Come on. It is 80 degrees out and sunny, and I hope you've had a great, fun uh, summer weekend. And speaking of celebrations, do we have any graduates out there that walked recently? I know we've got a bunch of them in the church. They'll probably be at the third service, but anybody raise your hand nice and high. We want to celebrate. Anybody? Nobody? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> College, uh, grad school, high school, whatever. We celebrate all of that and what has been happening. It's a joyful time now, too, as people are getting out of their homes again. And I believe we have a unique opportunity to utilize this season to relationally invest in our communities. 
And I think when we hear the word party sometimes, and I'm going to share my personal experience, and some of you know my story, but I don't know if I've shared the details I'm going to share this morning, that, that when we think of party, we think of certain types of beverages, certain things happening. Some of the greatest parties I've ever been to didn't involve those things. I may have been to some that did, but the greatest ones that I can think about, it was real authentic community where we didn't have to fake who we were. We could just be who we were. And that's what I want to share with you today. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on now. The, the verses we're going to read is going to be written by a man who is actually called to follow Jesus in this passage. And he was hated by the, Christ, or by the, the Jewish people in that culture because he was a Jewish man who had sold out to the Roman authorities to be a tax collector so that he could pad his own pockets and make money off of the Jewish community by taxing them and then make a bunch of money for the Romans in the process. So the Jewish people hated him. His name's Matthew. Are you, here we go. Let's get into Matthew chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or power that on. And in this passage, we're going to read just a few verses and see how Jesus calls Matthew this tax collector, hated by the Jewish community because he was a Jewish man who had sold out to the Romans. And I want you to think about this for just a second because it's easy to think, well, he's not that bad. He, he robbed your grandmother to pay your oppressors who have basically treated you like a lower class of humanity and your grandmother no longer is able to meet her own physical needs. Anybody going to be happy to invite Matthew in? Uh, has anybody seen the TV show Chosen that's on VidAngel there on season two? It's really well done. I love it. It's, it's obviously an artistic take on it, but the Matthew character in there, he's really unique, isn't he? And they really do a good job of portraying this. We don't know that he had those characteristics, but we do know that he was not initially received well by all the disciples, most likely. Here we go, Matthew chapter nine, beginning in verse nine. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, we read the calling of the disciples, and this is like thousands of years ago. If you're new to the Bible, this is like 2,000 years ago. So we just think, oh, that's what they do. Jesus says, follow, and they follow. But the thing about this, this guy left everything. He left his lucrative career knowingly to follow this rabbi, this teacher, who is being called the Messiah, the anointed one, that not only the Romans aren't going to love, but the Pharisees that knew scripture well didn't like. He gave up everything to follow Jesus in this moment. And I love Jesus here. We're going to talk about this. Look, look what Jesus does. He says, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. And look where he follows him too. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. How many of you do? He, he's like, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. He's like, where are we going? We're going, we're going to your house. You're going to make dinner for us. And then he throws a party there in the house. And he does this often, not just for Matthew, but look, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Isn't that crazy? So I don't know who the tax collectors in our culture today is. They probably vote different than you and think different than you. And you know, the bad people. And Jesus goes and befriends this person, and then not only befriends him, goes and eats with him, which in Jewish society was a big no-no. And then, on top of that, he invites all of his sinner friends to come hang out with him. 
Jesus had a way of extending his household, and we'll talk about household, the word oikos again today, extending his household to those who were sinners and were not liked by the community. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So the Pharisees, they asked him, what, why do you hang out with these tax collectors and sinners? And he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I've come for the sick, not for the healthy, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me rephrase that question I started with about your life. I'm going to talk more about your faith now. Have you lost the joy and excitement of following Jesus? Because when you're actually following him, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It's a fun journey and ride. You never know what to expect. And there are constantly new people that the Lord is connecting you to. But you have to be open to the new season that God is taking you through. And that's my question for you today. Will you pray with me? God, I just pause. Um, I don't have amazing words to share this morning, but I believe your Holy Spirit is going to do something really cool. I believe there are some people in here who maybe we are, have become more like the Pharisees rather than the ways of Jesus. That God, uh, we, we don't desire mercy, we desire sacrifice first to kind of prove your faith. God, you had this way of living out of love, both the grace and truth, the hard and the soft side of love. In this passage, we learn about your mercy and grace. Help us to live that out today. Speak to us, Lord Jesus, as Christians, how to love people right where they're at with no expectations. Thank God, I pray for those who maybe as we go through this passage, identify more with Matthew than anybody else. They feel like the outcast, even walking into this space or uh, clicking this link and watching this online right now, they feel like if they, people really knew what their life was like, they wouldn't be loved and treated well. God, we pray, Lord Jesus, he'd speak to each of us right where we're at spiritually. We surrender this morning to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, my story of coming to faith, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew about Christ. I prayed a prayer at 15, but my life was very far from God. And I think if you talk to most people in that, that day, I remember my senior year of high school, my high school basketball coach, I took an assessment of what I should do for a career. Number one, not pastor, stockbroker. That's, what, that's apparently what I was supposed to do. But number two was pastor. And my high school basketball coach literally laughed in my face when he saw that assessment. He's like, you're never going to be a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I know, isn't that funny? And then I go off to college, and I was very excited for college. Get away from my parents. Be free. Go do whatever I want. And so I told you I'd like to party. I got there. I did the things that college students did. I joined the fraternity house. I didn't just attend the parties. I tried to get people to go to the parties and did the things and encourage people to do the things that you do at the parties that aren't good. And that's kind of what I enjoyed doing. And then one person had the audacity, he was an upperclassman, to hang out with a freshman and show me without alcoholic beverages involved what it means to really hang out and have a good time. And we did things and we, we hung out in the fraternity house and other places. And then he had the audacity not just to hang out with me, but invite me to the campus ministry at the college I attended. I went there and somebody presented the gospel and I gave my life over to Christ. Now, don't judge me, and again, we need the grace and truth of Jesus, but I had been drinking for three straight days when I went to that thing, and I drank the two days after that. But for the first time, those two days, I had conviction over my actions. 
Began to say, man, I prayed and received Christ. I really meant that. Why am I living this way? And it began the self-reflection to it. And over the course of the, the next couple of weeks, I began to just surrender everything over to the Lord. And that spring, in the spring semester, my freshman year, there was a well-known, hilarious, artistic speaker who came to campus to speak to a bunch of college students. His name was Ben Glenn, and who today is our high school pastor, if you didn't know that. And Ben came to speak and did this amazing chalk drawing and did this hilarious thing. And I was like, that guy is awesome. He's hilarious. And they said, you know what? He's hiring interns for the summer. So I was like, well, I'm looking for another internship. I already had one with a computer science degree and an econ degree I was pursuing here in Indianapolis. And so uh, I said, well, maybe I could do ministry too. And so I did two internships that summer. One of them paid. Ben's didn't. (laughs) Then I joined this internship because they were like, you're studying econ and uh, computer science. We want you to learn these brand new computer science things of how to create new computerized things for for Ben's light shows for his art drawings. And so I I tried to do that. Turns out I'm really terrible at that. And they were like, you're not good at this. In fact, they found me. I fell asleep on the couch one time when I was supposed to be working. They had some grace and forgiveness. They said, Josh, you're bad at this. Why don't you go with Ben instead down to Tennessee for two weeks at this Christian camp with a bunch of junior high and high schoolers? I was like, okay. And I went down there, and I, I didn't feel like I was somebody who should be doing that. Six months earlier, I had been throwing the parties, getting people to do the things at the parties that Christians don't like. And so I went to this camp, and all of a sudden, the Lord started using me in the conviction I had had to speak to students and seeing students come to Christ. And I was like, man, the Lord, I felt more used by the Lord in that two weeks than I ever have in my entire life. So that at the end of the summer, I came back and I got involved in ministry on the camp I was at, started a Bible study in the fraternity house. I went from throwing the parties to inviting people to the Bible study. Literally, I used to run the poker ring in the fraternity house. Instead, I invited all those people to a Bible study. And we, it was fun, and I loved those days. And I got involved in ministry. And then that same guy that initially relationally invested in me, that led to me uh, being invited to this campus ministry, that led to Ben inviting me to do ministry, that led to me being down in Tennessee six months after doing the things I had been doing. I was leading students to Christ, to starting a fraternity Bible study, to now that same friend that started the whole process went out to seminary in California. And he said, hey, I'm going out here. When you graduate, if you have more questions spiritually, maybe come out. And I ended up going to seminary. I got out there to Southern California, and I thought I wanted to act. I didn't want to be a pastor. Those people are lame. And I did one audition. It was horrible. I hated the whole experience. I could tell you, but it's too long. So then what happened next was somebody invited me to go to this one large church, about 5,000 people, and they were hiring a junior high pastor. I didn't know anything about being a junior high pastor. I had no credentials. And so naturally, they hired me. And then the lead pastor of that church I was a terrible junior high pastor. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was not good at my job. A little side note, I didn't say this in the first service. The one time I went on vacation, I forgot to book people to run the student ministry. There were students running all over the building. They were like, what is wrong with you? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So anyway, he decided not to give up on me, but to mentor me. They've still been my mentor to this day. And every step along the way, somebody had to have the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness to minister to me right where I was at relationally. And without each of those people and each step of those many years, I wouldn't be here doing this today. The same for those of you who are Christians in this room, I guarantee you have relational connections of people who have poured into your life, who made time for you. 
There are people in your life that are waiting for you to do the very same for them. And that's what Jesus does in this passage. He sees the outcasted person, Matthew, and he pursues him relationally and invites himself into his life. And it literally changes the course of human history. Matthew not only becomes one of the 12 disciples, eventually the Jewish Christian community receives him and accepts him. He goes on to write one of the key gospels that we're reading today that tell the life, death, and resurrection that for uh, 2,000 years have led millions and billions of people to understand the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, all because Jesus said, come and follow me. So when we look at how Jesus throws house parties throughout scripture, it matters. And it matters to those in your sphere of influence. You see, I think this summer, we need to throw parties at people's houses. That may be really simple. But some of you, you need to start an outpost and start by throwing some parties this summer just to get to know people in your community. We call those the microchurch version of our outposts. If you don't know anything about outposts, you're like, why don't you just call them small groups? Well, they're a little bit different. They're communities on mission. And there are different types of them. They can actually apply for financial resources to live on mission in the community. And if you want more information, all you got to do is stick around after the third service. There's a lunch for all of the student ministry. And then there's also a lunch for all outposts, uh, people interested in outposts that just want to learn what they are. So stick around. And to, later today, about 1245, you'll get to hear about and experience that. But Jesus had this way in Matthew chapter 9 of throwing a party in Matthew's house. But let's look at how it actually occurred. Number one, it might be the most important part. If you want to actually reach people for Christ this summer, you have to see people. Like we totally take this for granted. Think of how many people walk by Matthew's booth every single day where there probably would have been Roman soldiers and they just walked on by and just tried to avoid eye contact. And look what Jesus does here. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And rather than walking away, he walks towards him and says, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. He didn't care what everybody else thought. He just knew here was an opportunity to love this person right where they were at. I love Donald Hagner, a scholar, uh, writes this. Uh, he's a phenomenal uh, Mathean scholar. He writes, since Jesus' mission is predicated upon mercy and not merit. You know what it means by mercy, mercy and not merit? Not based on what other people think or what they've accomplished or how good of a person they are, but on how the mercy that Jesus could show. No one is despicable enough by the standards of society to be outside his concern and invitation. Jesus saw Matthew... And if you're the Matthew today, he sees you right where you're at. Nobody is so despicable or so far from God that he can't love you and have concern and invitation into a relationship with him. And if, as followers of Jesus, that's what it should look like. So think of like the person, the, the people that you dislike the most. Come on, think of them. You know who they are. Point to them in the room right now. <laughs> Point to them. Like you, you can think of them, right? Like Jesus would go in and he would just embrace those people. And then what I love about him, he wouldn't just embrace them. He'd embrace all of their, their friends. And if I'm being honest, sometimes for me, this is really easy with people who are really down and out or have physical ailments or who are homeless. But for those people in uh, the north side of Indy here that maybe you've, you kind of seems like they have their life together, to get involved in some of the emotions and the hardships and the, the problems in their life Sometimes, I'm being honest with you, sometimes it's just easier to walk away, isn't it? 
than to engage it. And the Lord's been speaking to me about that in my own life, how I could improve in this area. I think we have to see people and approach them like Jesus did. But number two, then you have to invite yourself over. Now hold up just for a second, unless you're super creepy, then don't do this at all. Or if you just like see somebody from the opposite sex and you're like, I want to, like this isn't a dating tactic. This is like if you authentically want to live on mission with Jesus and the Lord presents a person of peace, a, a person that you could easily pour into, that then you not only invite them over to your home, you might even go over to their home. Look what Jesus does here. I, I always mentioned it at the beginning. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. He didn't just go and say, come and follow me. He didn't just invite him over. He actually invited himself over. I think in our culture, this is very significant because if, you know, we have people from different parts of the world and, and may not understand, you know, like Midwestern suburban culture where we're good at building our fences and isolating ourselves and we will spend thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to make our homes the cool place to hang out, to get the patio and the bonfire and the pool and the decked out basement and all the things that would get people to come hang out at our home, because that's what we want. But Jesus often, he didn't even have a house, right? He was constantly going over, when people invited him, going over to their homes to invest in those new relationships with people he didn't know and didn't invite his friends over all the time. He often told them to invite their friends. The Greek word for house there that we just read, a household again is the word oikos, and don't just think of physical structure it's the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence, your, your front row of your life that may or may not be Christian. He didn't just invite himself over. He had Matthew invite his oikos over. And I'll show you at the end, that was how the gospel often spread was from oikos to oikos to oikos, relationally investing in people in their homes. And by doing this, hanging out, I mean, the Pharisees, the religious zealots of his day, they would have looked at him and said, oh, you're a horrible guy. That you would go hang out with these sinners. Jesus gives up his chance at power and popularity by embracing sinners. Laying everything down, he doesn't care. He just wants to love people right where they're at. Now, today is a lot about the grace and mercy of Jesus. Other sermons we do would center more on the love of Jesus in truth, the hard part of love, truth. And that part in our culture today is not well-received sometimes. But don't forget that we have to lead with the mercy and grace of Jesus that he exemplifies in this passage. He just goes over, he's like, Matthew, get your friends together. We're having a party at your house. We're going to hang out. What would that look like today for you to do? For your neighbors? I, I've been bad. I've, I was told the first service, our first house we had, I knew all the neighbors. We knew them all by name. Some of them have been here for years. And, and like in our neighborhood now, I don't know near as many people. I got busy and I got convicted as preparing this. Like, man, what would it look like just to have a party for your neighbors? A party for, hey, tell one of your friends, uh, I know you won't come to church with me, but I'm gonna throw a party at your house and we're just gonna invite your neighbors over and we're just gonna hang out. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus did. It's crazy. I heard a pastor share this and I'll share the name. I don't usually share the name. It's Tony Campola. Years ago shared this. I don't line up with everything theologically with him, but I love this story. He talked about how he got a speaking gig really to suffer. He got invited to speak in Honolulu, Hawaii. You know, sometimes you get called to like Siberia and then you get the one to Hawaii. Well, he got the one to Hawaii 
And he shows up there, and he's on East Coast time, so he woke up at 3 in the morning, and he was hungry because of the huge time change. And so he found this kind of greasy diner, and he went in there at 3 in the morning and uh, got a donut and some coffee, and in walked a bunch of women. And he overheard them talking and found out that they were prostitutes and uh, getting off of work. And they came into that place, and he just kind of listened and overheard, and there was one woman sitting next to him named Agnes who was telling her friend that she was going to turn 39 years old and her birthday was tomorrow. And the friend was like, what do you want me to do? You want me to throw you a party or something? She's like, no, I don't expect that. She's like, I've, I've actually turned in 39. I've, I've never had a party, so I don't expect it now. She's like, to be honest with you, I've never even had a birthday cake, ever. Side note, you know, we often judge people for where they're at. Many of the women in, in that uh, line of work have often got there because somebody did something horribly abusive, a male oppression in their life at a young age that caused this life of completely eschewing for anything that God would want. And yes, it's not a healthy lifestyle, but man, we should get a whole lot more mad at the men, shouldn't we? But that's not the point. The point is that he's hanging out there in that room and he's overhearing this. And rather than jumping to judgment, the women get up and they leave and he goes to the owner and says, hey, do they come in here every night? And he's like, yeah, they do. He said, well, I just overheard that Agnes is never had a birthday party. Like, what if tomorrow night we threw a birthday party here at the diner? He's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And they told one of the other employees, like, that'd be so great. I know her lifestyle's not good, but, but she's actually a kind person. And so they decided they were going to throw a birthday party for Agnes at three in the morning in a diner. And so he went out that day after speaking, got all kinds of decorations, decorated this place out for the 39th birthday of Agnes. And they bring all this place. And at three in the morning, this diner is packed full of prostitutes in Honolulu. And this pastor, but nobody knows he's a pastor. He just told him he was a sociologist. So then Agnes walks in and they all yell, surprise. She wells up with tears. Her knees begin to buckle and she almost can't stand up. She makes it over to the countertop and they bring out the cake and they've lit the candles and they're like, you need to blow out the candles, Agnes. She just begins to weep and she can't do it. So they blow them out for her and then they're like, well, you at least need to cut the cake. And she says, would it be okay if I don't cut it right away? Like, why not? She's like, I've never had a birthday cake. I just want to show my mom. She's like, my mom lives just a block away. Can I, can I just take it? And so literally, she runs the cake home to show her mom bawling and weeping along the way. And when she gets back and the night ends, the sociologist said, hey, he didn't even think about it. He's like, hey, do you care if I close in prayer? <laughs> Everybody's like, what? And he's like, he didn't do it on purpose, but it ended up being a really good moment. And so he just prayed over them and prayed, God, that you watch over these women and you protect them and you be with them. You help them experience your love and your grace. And the joy of Christ was in that diner that night. You know, yes, because we don't think about it this way in our contemporary culture about Christianity, but this is the heart of the gospel. This is what Jesus did constantly. Zacchaeus home, Matthew home, Lydia's home, all throughout scripture. That if we just lived this way, that they got presented the gospel in the most tangible, real way they ever could. And they were like, you're not a sociologist, are you? And he was like, no, I'm a pastor. He said, the owner of the bar, or the, the diner said, you can't be a pastor? He's like, yeah, I am. He goes, if there was a church that would do stuff like this, I would attend that church. And he said, there's no way that it exists. He says, it does at our church. We, we're the type of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the diner. Now look, 
we believe in a healthy sexual ethic and we believe the Bible teaches how to live our lives, that he wants to protect us from unhealth in every aspect of our lives, especially for the young people in the room. Do not mishear this sermon. But what I want to share with you today, that we must live our lives in a way that we embrace people who are far from God and love them into relationship with Christ. It changes that diner that night. And the joy that comes in those moments is incredible. We forget about this joy Uh, The the gospel writer of John, John writes in uh, 3.29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. We're the bride, Jesus is the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. John says, because I know Jesus and I hear his voice in my life, I have joy I never had before. Why don't people experience that? Why are we only known for what we are against rather than the joy of Christ in our world? It, it, it's not just there. It, when Paul writes to the, uh, goes to, uh, in, excuse me, in Acts chapter eight, it's actually uh, Philip, the evangelist, goes to the city in Samaria. People are very far from God and he presents the gospel and he heals people and he casts out demons. And it says in uh, uh, that verse eight of Acts eight, so there was great joy in that city. Is there great joy in the city of Indianapolis, in Carmel, in Fishers, in Westfield, in Zionsville, in Brownsburg, and all over the city and state. Because when Christ is present there in Christian community, you find his joy right there with him. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, that even when we are at our lowest of our lows, You guys know the other part of our story of losing a child. I can tell you when we're at our lowest of our lows, you can find moments of joy when Christ is carrying you as you're suffering in those moments. And when people experience that, they want a part of that. But it starts with us. If we're going to throw parties for people, we have to see them. We have to invite ourselves over. And we have to show people mercy and grace the way that Jesus did. See, well, the Pharisees didn't like this. The Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we often think, oh, this is New Testament hippie Jesus. No, this is the whole Bible. Let me show you Old Testament here. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than the burnt offerings. Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your Lord. That's what he requires of us. If we just lived with that kind of faith, the way that Jesus did, and if you're not convinced yet, let me show you all the house parties Jesus threw. I'll look at the scriptures here, starting in Luke 10. Jesus is in the house of Mary and Martha. Jesus is in the house of Zacchaeus. Jesus is in the oikos of Matthew. Jesus is in the oikos of Simon the leper. Jesus is in the oikos of the Pharisee. The wedding at Cana happens in the homes. Jesus at the house of Jairus. Jesus at Peter's house. Jesus sending the disciples out to houses. Peter and Cornelius with a house encounter, Acts 10. Lydia's house, Acts 16. The Roman jailer's house, Acts 16. The house Jesus has gone to prepare. The eternal house that we're going to look at in the last week of the sermon series that the house of the Lord, there is joy, like we sang about earlier today. And when the presence of God is in those moments, people get to experience the tangible person of Jesus, the body of Christ today, it is you. Who in your life right now, do you just need to throw a party for him? What would that look like? To invite him over to your home or to go over to their home? Because the conclusion of Matthew 9 says this, 
Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, not because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You don't have to go around the globe to find the harvest field. It's in your neighborhood. It's on your soccer team. It's at your workplace. It's in your school. It's in your sphere of influence. It's in the sphere of influence of your closest friends. And if you just focus on relationally investing in them, you never know. You might change somebody's life. They would go on to preach the gospel for decades like somebody did for me. You never know what the the Lord is going to use you. But I'm telling you, it's the most worthwhile thing you will ever do with your life. So as we close in prayer, for some of you as Christians, you need to re-engage the joy of Christ. Invite people over to your homes and go to their homes. But some of you, you know that you're really not in that position in your life right now. If you're being real honest, you're the Matthew. And you need somebody to come alongside you. And that takes being vulnerable enough and open yourself up enough. Matthew left his lucrative career to go and follow Jesus. He put everything aside, and you're going to have to do that too. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. I pray first for the Christian in the room. That if we've been talking about this, maybe we have become complacent. And as everything is opening up here in the summertime, you might utilize us relationally to invest in those of our sphere of influence. That you're going to put people in our mind right now in our oikos to go pray for, to go over to their home and invite their friends over and see what the gospel, how it could spread. But then if there's anybody in the room or online right now, they're really the Matthew in this situation. They're the Agnes. And they've never experienced the joy that you bring to people's lives, Lord. They're beginning to get a taste of it here this morning. If that's you in the room and you'd like to receive the joy of Christ, everlasting life, that he's with you now and forever, pray this with me. God, I want you fully in my life. I don't know how to do this, but I want to start a relationship with you, Jesus. So I begin by repenting of anything in my life that's not of you. I confess I'm not perfect. And then I surrender every aspect of my life to your Lordship. Use me, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's family said, amen.